The Tablet Show, Episode 72, with guest Rocky Lodka. Recorded live Thursday, January 31st, 2013. From thetabletshow.com, it's The Tablet Show. Conversations about developing software for tablets and other mobile devices with your hosts Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. In this episode, Carl and Richard talk to Rocky Latka about his experiences building Windows 8 tablet applications for the enterprise. This episode of The Tablet Show is sponsored by Telerik, offering the best in developer tools and support. Online at telerik.com. And now, here are Carl and Richard. Thank you very much, and welcome back to the Tablet Show. It's Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell coming to you from the broken Keurig machine uh, around the corner at Pop Studios. Oh, no. Your your coffee machine is busted? Yeah. If, you know, I have a really nice coffee maker, but, you know, it's kind of, it's got a burr grinder in it. It's a sort of the top of the line. Right? Sure. But, you know, you got to make a whole pot. So the Keurig your machine that we share on the uh, on the floor is sort of the go-to for you know an instant cup of coffee, and it's freaking broken. Yeah, one cupper and those those little capsules. Yeah, they're not very good for the environment or very good coffee for that matter, but <laughs> but they are convenient. I have tried to have their tea, mm-hmm. and it's terrible. Mostly yeah. because it tastes like coffee, because that's all, all that ever runs through that machine. And once you get coffee on anything, everything tastes like coffee. The thing to do is to get the reusable cups. Grind your own coffee or tea, put tea in there, and then reuse it, wash it out. That's the thing to do if you want to use Keurig. All right. Better know framework. Hey, me. So, um, I went looking for things that I had overlooked at the dev.windows.com, Developer oh, really? Central, the Dev Center, and I found a whole slew of blog posts or articles, whatever you want to call them, called Design Inspiration for Windows Store Apps. Oh, neat. Yeah, so if you go to tinyurl.com slash metroinspiration, there I said it, (laughs) metroinspiration, there's categories, games, entertainment apps, news apps, productivity apps, sports apps, shopping, travel, education. You click on any of those and you can pretty much uh, learn about the patterns and the recommended technologies that they uh, want you to use. And uh, some good ideas for implementing those apps, those type of apps. Nice. It's pretty cool. Yeah, I spent a few minutes looking around and uh, stuff I want to go back and look at later. Well, that's inspiration for you. Inspiration. What's up, Richard? Who's talking to us? Grabbed a comment off of show number 56 which is a show we did with Billy Hollis on the uh, user interaction experience of tablets. Yes. And that's the show we recorded in Pittsburgh, if you recall. Yep. With all the fun and adventure that was around that. And uh, Jeremy in Minnesota says, uh, Hello, I really enjoyed the discussion with Billy regarding UI, UX, and the future of computing and tablets. It is clear from recent Microsoft seminars that I've attended that a software developer needs to develop some design capability going forward. And I think that Billy has a lot to offer your listeners in this area. I totally agree. Mm. I hope you have him on the podcast many times in the future, but I have a question. I attended your discussion with him about tablet UX design in Minneapolis in September, not in Pittsburgh. What happened to that show? 
Thanks for the great development info that you have on the Tablet Show and Donna Rocks, Jeremy, Minnesota. We kind of lost our show. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> <coughs> sorry. <laughs> yeah. Let me tell you the truth, Jeremy. Recording sometimes doesn't go well. Yeah. And uh, we lost three of our uh, road trip shows. Yeah. We lost the one in Vancouver. Mm-hmm. We lost the one in Seattle. Yep. And we lost the one in Minneapolis for different reasons. Mm-hmm. Stuff breaks, uh, you know, crashes, bad gear, bad configuration. It just happens. We don't lose a lot of shows. I mean, no. let's face it. We make a ton of podcasts. That's right. But once in a while, we lose them, and that's when we lost. Yeah. And how lucky we were that we were able to get Billy back and basically do the show over in Pittsburgh. And it was better the second time. I totally agree. And we got Brian Randall back, too. We yeah. got him in L.A. to yeah. cover because we lost his Vancouver show, which yeah. I think was the second time was better as well. The mm-hmm. one we haven't gotten replaced is that conversation we had with Todd Anglin in Seattle, which was really a great talk. It was about- awesome. That, that whole thing. So we will get Todd back on to fill that in. That'll be another tablet show episode. Yeah. And probably, um, you know, uh, it's a, it was a timely talk. So I'm sure it has been updated yep. since then. It certainly has evolved. Mm. So, uh, Jeremy, thanks so much for your comment. I hope we answered your question. And if you have questions, concerns, ideas for show, just want to say thanks, and you'd like to get a tablet show mug like Jeremy's just gotten, just write a comment on the website at thetabletshow.com. Well, that brings us to our guest, Rockford Lotka. He is CTO of Magenic and uh, probably the epitome of a .NET rock star. Uh, Been on the show many times, been on .NET rocks many times. Welcome back. Well, thank you. You're too kind. Are you guys uh, at Magenic doing a lot of cross-platform development these days? Yeah, we're doing quite a bit on the client side. We've got a mobile group that does iOS and Android development, and uh, we've got our core competency has always been Microsoft and .NET, and so we've done uh, uh, quite a bit of Windows 8 tablet work, uh, mostly proof-of-concept at this point. So when you say iOS and Android, are you talking about building for tablets or building for phones? Mostly for tablets. Okay. Um, We've done a little bit of work for phones, but by and large, phones don't lend themselves particularly well to um, enterprise-type apps. That's really what you do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, our our focus, you know, what we do for our customers is pretty much centered around enterprise solutions. And there are a few, for instance, in um, banking or other finance areas where... um, an enterprise solution really does extend out into phones pretty logically, but for the most part, it's tablets. That's cool. And and you're actually getting work in all the like, people are buying Android tablets because it, it's frustrating to me. I can't figure out what the standout Android tablet actually is. Yeah. And I can't say either. <laughs> well, the, you know, the triple E Asus pad was really, really popular there for a while. Yeah, it's true. And mo- most of the uh, tablet work is iPads. I mean, that's, you know, be upfront about that. But there are people that are are not convinced that Apple is an enterprise player, mm-hmm. um, or they can't get uh, the flexibility and device types that they want. You know, I mean, you can wrap iPads with rubbered cases, but you can't necessarily get um, hardened devices or different form factors. And I think that's where the Android devices come to play. Yeah, I'm, I haven't. I don't know of any ruggedized Android tablets, but I have met some seriously ruggedized um, Windows uh, slates. You know, ones that you could drive trucks over. So obviously, the products exist. Yeah, in fact, we've got one project that um, we're pursuing. We don't know if we'll get this work, but they're definitely looking at Windows. Uh, Windows eight, in particular, is a uh, uh, 
the dominant choice because of the fact that you can get hardened, I mean, like you say, really, really hardened devices that run Windows. Oh, yeah. Actually, I just did a quick search here, and uh, Panasonic makes a tough pad with Android on it. And Panasonic was, they make really rugged uh, Windows slates as well. That's the one where I've actually, the demonstration was the guy drove an F-150 over the tablet. And I'm like, that's pretty tough. Hey, Rocky, last time you were on the show was September, last September. What, uh, has anything really changed in the ecosystem since then, or at least in Magenic? I wouldn't say that anything big has changed. I think that everyone is slowly starting to get some comprehension of what Windows 8 actually means. And, but that's a slow process, especially at a corporate level where most organizations are in the process of rolling out Windows 7, migrating off from VB6 or Windows XP or IE6. And so there's very little time to put a lot of thought into uh, Windows 8 or WinRT at this point. Um, but I, I do think the, you know, there's this slow kind of inexorable um, progress toward, you know, recognition that the, the next generation of apps is going to run on a different thing. Mm-hmm. Exciting, because it's been a long time. I get the dominance of the keyboard and mouse interface for all apps is, is finally being questioned in a serious way. Yeah, it certainly is. Yeah, that that is one of the bigger maybe areas of misunderstanding, though, is there's a, a broad assumption that Windows 8 means touch. Yes. And so it's pretty easy to look at a lot of business scenarios, and it's very, you know, where, where you can't easily imagine how touch applies or, or where you could do without a keyboard. And so then Windows 8, you, a lot of people just dismiss it. It's like, you right. know, well, no, you know no, no point even thinking about it which I think is uh, incorrect. It's pretty obvious that anything you could do in Silverlight or almost anything you could do in WPF, you can do in WinRT for Windows 8, including you know heavy-duty keyboard mouse-based data entry apps. I'm with you, Rocky. Uh, we've been talking about this a lot, obviously, because there's been a lot of pushback against Windows 8 without touch. And Every once in a while, I just have these crazy ideas, and the latest crazy idea I had was to use Windows 8 with a big monitor, but also a little touch monitor by your keyboard that is uh, relegated to the your your start screen. And so, you know, if you have a, a sort of even small laptop size touch pad, maybe uh, in front of your keyboard or next to your keyboard or to the left or whatever, um, you know, you can sort of use that in the in the touch way as your start menu whereas you're running in desktop mode on the big monitor i have done a little bit of that um with the uh samsung tablet from uh, the first build conference mm-hmm. and hook an hdmi out to a, a bigger monitor and a usb to get a full-blown keyboard and mouse right yeah you because know, it's a a, a low-end developer uh device really right and and you're right that does work reasonably well and and it is in in many cases it is just a lot quicker to reach up and touch something than it is to move the mouse especially if you've got multiple monitors and the mouse is all the way to the right and you got to move it through a monitor and a half to get it to the thing you want to click on (laughs) yeah and i I would even go the opposite way instead of having a low-end device with an hdmi output i would have your regular desktop computer 
but have a, a separate small touch monitor. Now, I haven't really seen any, I don't know, Richard, you, you're the toy boy, you might know, if you've seen any small, I don't know, 10, 12-inch just monitors, like laptop size or touch book size monitors that uh, that would you know run in that way. They, you know, nobody's making screens that small these days. Isn't that funny? The small touch screen is like a 20. Yeah, interesting. Well, because I think people want that capability to have a, a smaller screen there. But, you know, the, the reality of manufacturing is that fewer sizes are better. That's why, like, 1920 by 1200 is disappearing. 1920 by 1080 will be the only resolution pretty soon. Just because it makes it so much cheaper if you make one size of screen. So, Rocky, I, I really want to dig into this Win 8 story because this is you're clearly working in this particular area of enterprise and starting to see the tablets. So, I mean, besides iOS and Android, is Win 8 getting some traction in the tablet form factor for enterprise? A lot of people are giving it a lot of thought, which I'm not sure that's... I, I think traction would imply that people are buying and, and deploying. Right. <laughs> um, and so... I don't think we're quite at that point, but they're evaluating. They're evaluating and deeply evaluating because the if you're already heavily invested in the Windows uh, ecosystem, so you've yeah. got Windows Forms or WPF apps or Silverlight apps. The idea of well, there, well, first we have to recognize that there's a real broad attraction to getting t uh, apps onto tablets, right, and whether that means touch or, or with a keyboard or hybrids is a, almost a different matter. People want their apps to be running on the, on their tablet. Mm -hmm. And so then if you're heavily invested in, in, well, in, in .NET, I think is the best way to put it, then the idea of retooling your developers to either do Objective C or, or to switch to JavaScript and HTML5 in order to build these apps is kind of a tall order. Sure. And, you know, people have been doing that. So it's a, you can't say that nobody's going to do it because lots of people have. But boy, it's attractive if you start looking at, at uh, WinRT or, or actually I should back that up and say, you know, um, looking at Windows 8 and in particular uh, Windows 8 Pro or the Surface Pro. Yeah. Because people just aren't, really ready to embrace um, or even heavily evaluate WinRT at this point. I think there are too many unknowns. But running WPF on a Surface Pro is perceived as maybe a great way to get tablets into the hands of people that want tablets and still be able to run uh, business apps. Sure. I actually ha I have a Surface RT and I have the uh, Acer W510. So the Surface RT obviously running RT, and the 510 runs a full bore Win 8, and it's actually lighter and thinner than the RT device, but it's a very lightweight sort of low power device. It runs Intel Atom. I mean, I'm really blown away by it. Its battery life is great. It's got a snapping keyboard with an additional battery, so the two together is like 18 hours of battery life. But I think if you built software carefully for it, it's got enough horsepower that you could use it for a typical line of business app. And it's actually s smaller than an iPad. I would want to see that to believe it. And the reason I say this is that um, some time ago, uh, we did a prototype proof of concept uh, with a customer that was mm -hmm. evaluating between iPad and, uh, at the time, a Windows 7 tablet. 
Right. And this was when, you know, before Windows 8 was announced and, and, you know, a couple, three manufacturers were dabbling in Windows 7 touch tablets. And one of them that was really attractive was uh, probably similar in, in a lot of ways to what you're describing, although probably three years ago. Right. And WPF was just not fast enough. Yeah, that would be the thing is what's the the GPU in that machine because WPF needs a good GPU. Yeah. And and there there's a case where WinRT uh, it was really rethought around these ideas of lower powered GPUs, lower powered CPUs. And yeah, you know, and this is I think what where I'm a little bit concerned with all of the focus on uh Windows 8 Pro as being the answer. Because you need that extra horsepower if you're going to do WPF. And so then I always bring up, well, well, have you thought about WinRT? And the problem is, I, I think uh, there's a couple areas of, of caution. One, it's version one. Um, so there's just some natural and, and probably very wise <laughs> reticence toward, you know, jumping on board. Uh, two, Microsoft is, I think, uh, upset a few people um, with the silver light and, and some of the other moves over the last two, two and a half years. And so there's a lack of trust in um, commitment on Microsoft's part, which I honestly don't think is warranted because it's pretty clear Microsoft has put all their money and energy into WinRT. Sure. I like to play the game of what would have happened if they had kept banging the silver light drum? Where would we be? Who would use it? Well, I think it's that's hard to say, you know. But you know what I'm saying? I mean, it's not like it, the product died. It's that the there were more popular platforms that needed to be supported, and they did not support Silverlight. Well, I think they, they blinked, right? I, I think that um, Silverlight got sidetracked because Apple wouldn't allow it to run on the iPad. Sure. Right. It's, that's the issue. Yeah, and so everybody was concerned, but WinRT doesn't run on the iPad either. Right. Um, yeah. So it's not like they actually solved that problem, you know, because because another way to look at it is suppose that they had created uh, Windows 8 such that Silverlight was what we now think of as WinRT. You know, so Silverlight was a first class citizen, and the the XAML and behavior of WinRT was more directly analogous to Silverlight. Although honestly, it's pretty similar, but um, they could have made it directly analogous. Mm -hmm. to um, Silverlight, and then we would be having a completely different conversation because it would basically be the Silverlight tablet versus the iPad. Right. Well, and, and Matt Apple didn't specifically say Silverlight. They went after all plugins, mainly Flash. And that's really the issue, isn't it, that they, they needed to rein it in so that it would be safe and it wouldn't run in a desktop, you know, Windows desktop environment that wasn't controlled. Well, I think that part of... That part of the future, in my mind, was a foregone conclusion. Yeah. In that Microsoft Win32 is pretty darn old at this point. Mm -hmm. and in fact, it had a, a, a surprisingly long run. But, um, you know, there's been talk for many, many years about how was Microsoft going to um, bring us forward, if you will, or, you know, escape the, the legacy of Win32. Mm -hmm. And basically what they've done here... Um, is just bitten the bullet and said, well, we're going to essentially create a whole new operating system mm -hmm. or, you know, environment, you know, Windows runtime. 
but at the same time, we're not going to force everybody to abandon their existing investment in Win32 because, although consumers might, right, your, your home users don't have this massive investment. Right. And in fact, they already did, right? They started going to Android, they went to iPads and, and slowly migrating off PCs. Yeah. But from the corporate world, it, you know, corporations are just now moving to Windows 7, so they're not going to move to anything else for another three or four years. Sure. Yeah. Unless it brings a competitive advantage, like I think the tablet does, you know, present a new way of something that can really change the way an enterprise does things and can, you know, make them faster, more agile, increase their return on investment. This portion of the tablet show is brought to you by our good friends at Telerik. Hey, can you ever have too many free tools to complement your development skills? I didn't think so. So our friends at Telerik are giving you now more than 30 free products for application development, automated testing, agile project management, and content management. And we're talking free-free. Not a trial, not a demo, but free, complete products supported by a community of over 440,000 developers at Telerik Forums. From free ASP.NET AJAX, ASP.NET MVC, and Silverlight controls, to the free ORM solution and automated testing framework, to free agile management tools and content management systems, all of these and more are available to you for immediate download at Telerik.com slash free stuff. Most of the free products can be used for commercial purposes and give you access to supplemental support resources such as documentation and forms. Go to Telerik.com slash free stuff now and take full advantage of the available free of charge products. And don't forget to thank them for supporting the tablet show. So let's talk about deployment in the enterprise. We've sort of talked about it a little bit. You did some extensive research on, um, you know, on what the stories are with different versions of, of Windows 8. We have a Windows Store for RT, private Windows Store. What's the current state of deployment? Well, I think that's one of the interesting challenges that that we face or anytime having a conversation about WinRT is that if you if you get past the the version one, which you know that one's harder to get by, and you get past the is Microsoft committed to it, which I think is actually that's easier to argue because it's pretty obvious they are. Then you arrive at, well, cool, so now I've built my WinRT business app. How do I get it deployed into the hands of my users? You know, is there an equivalent to click once is, is a common question. Right. Because um, click once with WPF works great. Mm -hmm. And is there an equivalent? And, and the answer is no. And so then the next question is, well, okay, so I bet it works like Silverlight where you just put the... Uh, apps on a on a web server and they get deployed basically through a url um invisibly in the background kind of like silverlight and the answer is no yeah and so then the then they're like okay so how do we get this stuff deployed and the first answer that you'll get certainly from microsoft is that you can put your app into the um, microsoft windows 8 store right which has a pretty good deployment story like that's pretty painless Oh, it is. It's in, in, in a, if you look at it, um, objectively, it's, um, well, it's free or near, you know, essentially free. Yeah. And, or, you know, and, and, uh, you get to push out updates and, and you don't have to worry about infrastructure and logistics and everything just gets deployed. And so at that level, the store is really attractive. 
Yeah. So don't you just want to run your own store as an enterprise then? Well, so, <laughs> and that's where the trick comes in, right? So the, the first answer is not to run your own store, but to put it in Microsoft's store. Right. But that's a problem for most enterprises. Sure. Why would we do that? Well, I, I think you can argue that even for enter- non-critical enterprise apps, mm-hmm. I think you could argue maybe that, and, and I'm going to come across like a Microsoft shill here, but, but just bear with me. Yep. I think for non-critical um, apps, I think you could argue that Microsoft is basically giving you a free deployment platform to manage the deployment and update of your app so you don't have right. to do all of the infrastructure. So your idea is that anybody can download our enterprise app for our business, but unless they have our their you know credentials and they get you know they can log in, they can't use it. That's exactly right. And I, I've talked to a number of people inside of Microsoft that have said exactly that 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 uh, you know there's nothing. In fact, it's built into the WinRT platform to require domain authentication. And so your app can do that. You can put it in the store. And if if I download your app, because um, presumably it would be free, right? right. I download your app, but the first thing it's going to do is ask me to log into your domain. And of course I can't. And I'll go, well, this was stupid. And I'll give you a bad rating in yep. the store. But you don't care because it's only for your employees anyway. But it's kind of an ugly thing to clutter up the store with that sort of thing. I really agree. Yeah. Oh, I, I do too. I'm I'm trying to put on a positive, shiny face, but <laughs> you know, um, it, it's when I, I years ago worked at a small biomedical company, and we had a portfolio of over eighty apps um, that were all you know pure business apps, and so you think just one little company with three hundred employees could put you know eighty or a hundred apps into the store. And then how many companies are there on the planet that have about 300 employees and it's thousands, right? Right. So, so Microsoft is willing to host, you know, probably millions of apps that are not useful to anybody except those little companies. Yeah, that doesn't make <laughs> sense. As long as they can no. stay out of the public view, I guess that that is an option. Yeah, it, it, the whole thing's kind of a little bit silly, but... It's it's an option. The the thing is that as soon as you go to an app that's in any way important, then the I think the equation changes because every app that you put into the st- the public store has to go through a certification process, which can take well typically does take days. Mm-hmm. And so if you put an important app into the store, you discover a bug that's stopping your business from functioning because after all, this was an important app. You mm-hmm. fix it and submit the fix to Microsoft, and then maybe a week later you get the fix rolled out. So then you have to wonder, how did you run your business for the week that the app was not working? You know, so it's pretty obvious, even with just a teeny bit of thought, that you could never put any anything remotely important through the public store, right? Just because of that time lag. Yeah, that becomes a, a big issue, and yeah, I just don't like that solution at all. And I know I'm going to throw my IT hat on for a moment, you know, the run as radio side of me that says, hey, you know, I'm a mid-sized enterprise who spent some money on configuration manager or even use the free Microsoft deployment toolkits. And I have a pretty good solution for deploying software to all of my Windows machines. Why are we diverting from this? Well, we're not necessarily because th- th- then we get to the second part of the conversation, 
which is that if in fact you've got system center right. or configuration manager, which is part of system center, right? Yeah. Um, if, if you've got that all set up um, and if you've got an enterprise agreement with software assurance. Okay. That's not a small thing you just said there, Rocky. <laughs> I know. We're adding a, just a bunch of requirements that probably ruled out the entire small and medium business world. Yeah. Um, so basically if you're an enterprise um, of size, you probably have all of this infrastructure and um, contractual license agree- agreements with Microsoft and so forth. And in that case, you can use that plumbing to push out uh, WinRT apps. Okay. If you're running at that scale and you have this infrastructure, you do have a deployment mechanism. Yeah. Yeah. You're in pretty good shape. But I mean, ConfigMan is not that expensive. And it's built on Microsoft Deployment Toolkit, which is flatly free. Now you add in that you have to have a volume license agreement. I mean, why do you have to have that? Well, and, and this is where things get, I believe, quite complicated and, and become dependent on your particular contractual arrangements with Microsoft. But in order to, what, what we're talking about doing here by, by deploying a WinRT app to a device without mm-hmm. going through the public store is called sideloading. Okay. Right? And in order to sideload onto a Windows 8 device, you, you know, which we're talking desktops, laptops, and tablets, you have to have a sideloading key installed on them. You have, basically, you have to unlock your device. Each device needs a key. That's correct. And is this, a, is this key unique to the device, or is it one per enterprise or one per app? What's the deal? Well, my understanding is that you... Um, and again, the prices are negotiable, but for roughly $3,000, you can buy a key that's good for 100 devices. And any number of apps per device? What, right. Once the device is unlocked, then the device is set. Okay. So that's 30 bucks a device, and you have to buy it in lots of 100? And at that point, I can do anything I want with the device? Yeah, that's right. So once the device is unlocked, you can install all of your line of business apps onto that device. So it's not per app. It's, it's a, a thir- basically a $30 per device. Um, but that key is not transferable. So uh, you, you buy, my understanding is actually you buy a key that's good for 100 devices. Okay. Um, but then if, if you unlock my personal uh, Surface RT and then I leave your company you know, and, and take another job, um, I, apparently my device is unlocked, so I get to keep it unlocked, and you've lost one of your keys. Right, because it's associated with the device. Hmm. Yeah, because it's it's non-transferable per device. So this whole bring-your-own-device-to-work model has got a problem then because the, because the keys go with the devices. Well, I think we have to be careful about what we're comparing to okay. um, as we think about this. We, because if you're looking at this whole thing from the perspective of a traditional Windows developer, it's not the same as if you're looking at it from a BYOD perspective. Oh, yeah? And I, I say this, well, I say this because if you bring an iPad to work or mm-hmm. an Android device to work, um, your employer needs to come up with some management scheme um, around your mobile device. Right. And in fact, they might use Microsoft's tools, System Center and Intune, um, which are part of the story for Windows 8, interestingly enough, are also part of the story for 
uh, or are the story for how you would manage, uh, for instance, an iPad. Right. And that's not free either. But is it transferable on and off the device? Um, I don't know the answer to that. I, is that, that, I guess that would be the important part is I, you bring in a device and I have to spend $30 on the device. Can I get that money back or, you know, does it go with the device that that to me seems an interesting question the 30 dollars, though honestly is kind of i think incidental because um what's probably a bigger deal is that intune for example costs either six or eleven dollars depending on which level you buy um or maybe it's eight but it's somewhere in there um dollars per month per device okay so thirty dollars gets eaten up pretty fast yeah, the th- really, it's the the real cost here ends up being you know if you figure your device lasts three years, um, and it's going to cost you maybe a hundred and you know twenty hundred and thirty dollars a year um, to keep it connected to your management infrastructure. That, that that's probably the bigger cost, especially if you've got you know a few hundred or a few thousand employees that can add up to a lot of money. But that is the BYOD world already. And right. so in that regard, Microsoft isn't forging uh, or, or creating a new market. They're just following the existing market that has been created for uh, iPads and Android devices. I think where we all get shocked about this is that we're coming at it, or at least I am, from a Microsoft perspective, mm-hmm. where I already bought the doggone operating system, and I already bought the server, and I bought my CALs and whatever other stuff, and... So I've been for you know the last couple decades able to um, you know, bring in my laptop and have it run Windows and be able to run my work apps and install any sort of apps that I need to install. Um, and I didn't need to pay extra for the privilege of running my own business apps. Right. And now Microsoft, from from that perspective, is levying all of these extra fees. Um, to let me do what I had already been doing for 20 years for free. Now, it's only $30. Like, you'd almost build it into the operating system cost. Like, I don't have a big problem with this. If if I'm the uh, uh, the enterprise that buys the tablets, I would just unlock them. And I get them back when, they, when the employee leaves. The bring-your-own-device is where this gets more complicated. Uh, is it all versions of Windows that this, this thing applies to in Windows 8? Well, there are four Windows 8 editions or right. SKUs. So there's Windows RT, which is what Surface RT runs. That's right, the ARM, the ARM edition. Right. Um, that one, you can get a $30 unlock, and then you pay your monthly fee uh, you know, to get Intune working or, or you know, SCCM or whatever. Right. Then there is Windows 8, which is, I, I kind of think of it like Windows 8 Home. Right. Right, but... That's not what they call it, but that one you cannot get an unlock key for. At all. Right. So, at all. So, that one, all of your, basically all of your home users that want to use a home PC to do work occasionally on the weekends um, can't. Right. Can't sideload. Can't sideload. And so, they either have to bring, bring a machine home from work or the employer maybe pays extra to upgrade their home machine to Windows 8 Pro, or the employer sets up maybe a, a bunch of virtual machines so that uh, and allows their employees to remote desktop into um, 
basically or recreate the mainframe with Windows, right? Um, remote back into uh, your bank of Cisco or uh, uh, sorry Citrix boxes to do real work. Um, but that's that's the Windows 8 SKU. Then there's Windows 8 Pro, and that one you can get the thirty dollar unlock key for. Right. And then there's Windows 8 Enterprise, which if it's domain joined is already unlocked. But if it's not domain joined, then you have to do the $30 key. That's weird. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, and I, I'm not sure that I can explain why or how, but I think the assumption is that if you're, um, if you're an enterprise, you already will have domain controllers, SCCM, um, you will be buying Windows 8 Enterprise for everybody. Right. And they will join your domain. And so then you've already basically, you're already in the, that, that's the only demographic that they appear to have identified as, as being, you, you've already paid your dues. Everybody else has to pay extra. Because, yeah, you know, small business server, which is, you know, built for 20 users, is domain joined. Right, like that. That is that. That package includes uh, domain controller, so you can run in the domain join. Whether or not you'd buy enterprise versions of Windows Eight, and you probably don't have a volume license agreement. Like, it's just that's really interesting that we could do that. And you know, the presumption that the only machines that are domain join are in large enterprises is just not true. It's not how it's been sold for years. Rocky, do you see Microsoft doing anything differently in this regard? Coming, is this something that you think? you have a sense that they're working on trying to simplify or do you think that this is the way it is and it's always going to be? I spent the last few months researching and talking to people and having some interesting discussions or, or arguments even in some cases. Um, first off, trying to learn all the stuff that I'm relaying here. And then second off, trying to um, frame this conversation around I honestly don't think Windows 8's primary competitor is the iPad. I think Windows 8's primary competitor or competitors are WPF and HTML. Right. If you're competing against the iPad, then levying this tax for licensing and deployment is fine because it's comparable to what you have to pay to live in the iPad world. But if your primary competitor is WPF plus click once, which has no extra fees, or worse yet, uh, HTML5 JavaScript, which not only has no extra fees, but works just as well on iPads as it does on Windows. Sure. Uh, then adding this extra financial barrier and licensing infrastructure overhead seems like a bad idea. Yeah, it's complex too, right? The answer, let's just build it as a web page, is pretty compelling at that point. Well, exactly. And I can't imagine that Microsoft is consciously trying to persuade people to abandon the Windows client, even <laughs> though that's, you know, that's actually what's happening, but that can't be what they, you know, intend. And so to answer your question, Carl, I do think that at some point somebody is going to understand what they're doing, <laughs> you know, and, and it might not be for a couple of years until after they've watched Windows client sales decline and other platforms, you know, Chromebooks are looking pretty good. So you don't have too much faith in their ability to uh, sort of figure out the current situation. 
well, I, I have a lot of faith in them to figure it out. Whether they figure it out fast enough is the question. Yeah. Well, and this doesn't necessarily say we won't buy Win8 clients. We just wouldn't bother with its deployment model. I'll just build web-based clients. And my Win8, I still like my Win8 machines. That's fine. I'm just not going to go through this deployment headache. And you didn't get your sense in talking to people at Microsoft that, that you know, that I haven't done a lot of talking to people there. But, you know, if I could, my feeling is that... It's all about the Windows Store for, you know, for consumers now. And that right now, you know, they're th- sort of rolling out the enterprise strategy, which will be announced some other time that they won't talk about and they won't let on that they're doing anything about it. That's my sense. Hey, I hope that you're right. Um, and, and I think that's pretty valid because uh, I, I think they could short circuit a lot of this um, speculation. Um, by just saying we don't have an enter, this is what they did with the phone, right? Right. With Windows Phone Seven, they said we don't have a story, right. and so there wasn't this weird licensing, you know. That, and and maybe it's just that Microsoft is floating ideas, and and in fact that's kind of what I'm hoping here, and that's why I'm talking about it to you guys, and I've been sure. blogging about this more recently, is that I think that the Microsoft user base needs to make their voice heard. Yeah. And Microsoft historically has been really good at listening to uh, industry feedback. And not feedback from pundits, but from actual honest-to-God customers. Mm-hmm. Right. And and they've been really, really good. I mean, that's why they've been successful for so many years. And I think very few people really understand the complexity and costs associated with this. And therefore aren't telling Microsoft that it's a broken model. And so, yeah, I think you're right. Microsoft may be in the back room somewhere still working on an enterprise deployment story. But then if that's true, they shouldn't have this kind of half-assed one out here now. Yeah. Because it, it just adds confusion. Um, they'd be better off doing what they did with the phone and saying, we got nothing. And then, you know, a year later come out with, hey, here's a good, st-. you know, the Windows Phone 8, for example, now has a great story. They actually went so far as to set it up so that there's an SDK to build a corporate portal with a corporate store. There's no extra licensing fees, right? It, it makes it very easy and, and straightforward to create um, apps that deploy out to your phones. Really? I, I hadn't heard this. Can you go into more detail around it? Well, in Windows Phone 8, mm-hmm. there's... Um, and I, I guess I'd have to look to see exactly what it's called, but there's a, a corporate portal or corporate marketplace um, option in the phone. And if your company has set up a corporate portal server, which requires, to my understanding, a little bit of dev work. Um, sure. But they, again, they provide you an SDK wherein you can, as a company, create the kind of the starting point. And so I, as a Windows Phone 8 person working... For Magenic, for example, could go to the, you know, would open this up and I would see Magenic's headlines and um, maybe some uh, business metrics or whatever we decided to put into this page. Plus, I would get access to um, a private store for f- Windows phone apps that are, are being provided by my company. Nice. Right? Pretty cool. That's, I mean, it sounds like a great, why would we want the same thing for Windows 8? It sounds awesome. Hmm. It does. And it sounds, well, of course, 
What we didn't finish saying earlier in our conversation is that if you use um, Intune, which is either a cloud-based product for, I think it's 6 or $11 a month, depending on which version you buy, um, or it's an add-in to System Center, and then you pay $4 a month per device, um, you get a corporate portal for Windows 8. Really? So, so they do, in fact, have this. It's just that um, the, the cheapest solution is that you've already invested in SCCM and you've already got all that infrastructure and you've bought the $30 unlock keys, and then you pay $4 a month per device to get access to your own store. And, you know, that works in the enterprise, perhaps, but does that really work in the small business? Well, probably not, which is why you have Intune in the cloud, hosted by Microsoft. And that, like I say, is it's either 6 or $8 for the cheap one, and then $11 for the, the full uh, service version, but per month, per device. So let's, let's say that it's uh, $6 per device per month. You pay that as a small business... Um, after you've done the $30 unlock key. And now you can use Microsoft's cloud-based Intune service to run your own store for your own employees. And and again, this we have to look at this, if we're comparing it to the BYOD world, yeah. this is probably not out of line because you know the 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 private marketplaces and, and whatnot that you have for iPads or Android devices are not free either. Right. And I'm sure that's what Microsoft's looking at is saying, well, great, those guys already figured out how to get extra money. We're going to go down that road. Where I think that we run into some friction um, is that if you've been a you know, 20-year Microsoft veteran and you're used to um, you know, going to you know, Best Buy or, or Costco or somewhere and, and buying laptops for your employees because uh, you've only got 20 and, and you've got a small business server um, running and the machines aren't on a domain because you don't know what that is. And why would I bother? You're, well, yeah, you know, your your part-time IT guy that comes in once every month or two to you know delete your logs and make sure your hard drive doesn't fill up or whatever might or might not even know how to set up the domain either, right? Uh, th- those people are now got to be looking at WinRT going, huh? So for Instead of a, a one-shot fixed cost, now I'm going to you know, spend um, a monthly fee. Plus, I probably still need my server. Mm-hmm. You know? So it is an additional fee um, on, on you know, like a 20-person company. It's pretty hard to see why you would do that. Well, an Intune is more than just this uh, marketplace and the ability to deploy apps. It's also their virus checking and maintenance on the machines. Stuff. There is some reward to that. But it is a, a real rethink about how you would build apps. It just seems like bad timing on Microsoft's parts. Early days when you're trying to get people onto this platform, you've made things pretty costly, or at least different. I, I, I think it is a timing thing. I think that if, if, if we were right now, if Windows 8 and the Surface and so forth were setting the stage for tablets, and... That'd be one thing. Yeah, that'd be one thing. Everybody would look at this completely different, but... In reality, Microsoft is um, a latecomer, you know, currently third place runner in the tablet world. Mm, sure. And um, has, in my mind, clearly this major advantage in the business space where um, Surface or, or other Windows 8 devices 
integrate into an existing Windows-based world way better than iPads or Android devices do and leverage all your existing developer skills with XAML and .NET. Right. I mean, it's just, wow, it's a compelling story. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there's this artificial cost barrier and complex. It's not just cost. It's the complexity, kind of the weird unknowns that you know take huge amounts of effort to try and decipher all this licensing stuff. And at which point I'm like, as a small business owner, I got to be thinking, wow, I'm just going to stick with Windows 7 until this blows over or I'm going to, maybe I should move to iPads or, you know, if I got to pay the fees anyway, um, you know, my, my part-time IT guy likes PHP. Right. You know, he's constantly telling me that I should get off that old Windows stuff and <laughs> be running running PHP on a Linux box because it would be better. Right. I mean, <laughs> you know, this is the, this is the real world. Yeah. Yeah. On one hand, it's just sit and wait or, you know, definitely explore other technologies. Well, yeah. And and again, I think Microsoft is in such a strong position. Um, They just are are jeopardizing it by adding, you know, this extra complexity where uh, it's just really not warranted. I, I, I personally... Um, think it's relatively or somewhat analogous to uh, what happened when TFS first came out and they set the price really high because they were trying to compete with uh, IBM and and other, you know, the big established players at the enterprise level. And their real market, of course, were people running Visual SourceSafe. Sure. And it took them almost two years before they finally... Um, kind of rejiggered the uh, pricing and licensing around TFS so that there were options analogous to visual source safe and competitive with subversion. Um, and all of a sudden, you know, the floodgates opened at that point because people are like, oh, you know, TFS really is a great product. Now it's cost competitive to what I'm used to in the Microsoft world. Right? There was a reason that we never went to IBM in the first place because it was right. too expensive. Yeah. Right? And, and to me, this feels like the same thing. It's like Microsoft has um, identified their competitor incorrectly. And right. so they're constructing this pricing and licensing model um, around something that their their demographic doesn't expect or understand. So, you know, coming back to Carl's question, yep. you know, honestly, I think that there is time for Microsoft to... Um, recognize the issue and to fix it because boy we are in early early days with this whole thing and you know six months or or 12 months from now it may be a lot harder to fix but um yeah if they if they address this in the short term i think all of those advantages that exist um around existing developer space existing infrastructure understanding of windows all those strengths will come into play and and we've got a, a really compelling story well, uh, man, thank you so much for doing the research, and I wish it was better news. <laughs> well, I, I think it'll get better. I hope I'm right, and that they're, you know, in clandestine mode because they don't want to let the cat out of the bag. Which, you know, this seems to be the norm for the new Microsoft, although maybe it's changing back, who knows. We'll see. Thanks, Rocky. Thank you. All right, we'll see you next time, folks, on The Tablet Show. It's not too much.